Good morning. I hope that you are doing well wherever you are listening. And as always, it is a pleasure to get to preach to you. If you joined us last week, you know that we started a series exploring different aspects of a healthy church. Last week was all about worship. We talked about how we are all created to worship, how that only God is worthy of our worship and how we need to worship him in the spirit and in truth. Now today I want us to look at a second characteristic of a healthy church. And that is that a healthy church gives generously. If we're talking about giving, that means that I'm going to be talking about money. And I know that causes some cynical people to kind of start in with the comments, oh, the preacher's going for my wallet. But trust me, I'm not motivated by greed in talking about this. That isn't why I'm preaching this sermon. I'm motivated to teach you from God's word in hopes that it will change your heart. And the Bible has a lot to say about money. There are over 2,000 verses about money in the Bible. And in fact, there is more instruction about money than almost anything else. So we can't follow God and ignore what he says about money. You see, God cares about what we do with our money. God wants our faith in him to impact every area of our lives, including our wallet. And church, one of the things that we see throughout scripture is that God wants us to be givers. Now, there are three types of biblical giving. The first is tithing. Tithing is when we give 10% of everything we have back to God. A fun fact, the word tithe, it actually means 10th in Hebrew. Leviticus 27.30, it says a tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, is the Lord's and is holy. And Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, don't let the talk about grains and, and crops throw you off. These verses are essentially saying to take a tenth of whatever you make, so your income, and give it back to God. So why does God want us to give? Well, first, Leviticus 27.30 says we are given what is the Lord's and, and is holy. So we are giving God what is already designated as his. Secondly, Proverbs 3.9 says we are doing this to honor God. It says honor God with your wealth. So to honor someone is to show them respect and esteem them. When my kids make good grades, they get put on the honor roll. They are being held in high esteem for what they have accomplished. Now, when we give to God, we honor him. We esteem him for who he is, for the fact that he is our creator, that we owe our very existence to, for what he has done, which is give us every good thing in our lives and save us from our sins to give us eternal life. So we give to God as one way of giving him the respect and reverence and thanks and obedience that is due to him. Now, some have debated if tithe still applies to us because these verses are in the Old Testament. And they'll say, you know, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing. 
but actually it does. Uh, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus, he's getting on to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law here because their priorities are wrong. He's saying you're paying attention to making sure you give a tenth of everything, even down to your spice rack, but you aren't practicing the more important matters of loving your neighbor. They're neglecting matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here, Jesus had the perfect time to abolish the tithe, but instead he reaffirms it. He says you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, it's good that you're tithing, you should, but don't neglect those other things, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And when we give a tithe, notice again how Proverbs 39 says to honor God with the first fruits of all your crops. First fruits is just a biblical way of saying we should give to God first before we do anything else with our money. Dave Ramsey is a Christian finance guy. He has a daily radio show you can listen to. It's a podcast to the Dave Ramsey Show. And on it, he helps people use biblical principles to get out of debt. And he also has a class that you can go through, Financial Peace. Uh, lots of churches use it. Sarah and I have actually led couples through this class before. And one of the things that I like that he does when he uh, teaches people how to budget is he teaches people this principle of first fruits. He teaches the biblical principle to put giving in the first category, the first blank of any budget that you make, because you're going to do that first. Because when you tithe before you make a plan with the rest of your money, you're making God a priority rather than an afterthought. It's not, God, maybe you'll get something if I have some left over. It is, God, you are most important, and I'm giving to you first. Now, if you aren't used to tithing, that may sound scary. It may even sound impossible, but I promise you, it isn't. You can ask every mature Christian you know, and they will tell you the same. When we tithe, we are showing our faith to God. And did you know that out of all of Scripture, this is the one area where God actually says to test him? Generally, testing God is a no-no. Remember Jesus quoted to the devil when he was tempted to jump off the temple, have angels catch him, hey, you shall not test the Lord your God. But I'm about to give you an area where God says to test him. Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So the one time God actually says to test him is in our tithing. He says, bring your whole tithe, see if I don't pour out blessings on you. The tithe is a lesson in trusting God. We are expressing to God that we know that he can stretch our 90% and use it better than we can use our 100% without him. So tithing is the first type of giving. And the second type of giving is free will offering. Now, what's the difference between tithes and offerings? Well, free will offering, it's giving above and beyond that 10% tithe. Tithing 
is commanded by God, typically given to the local church, but free will, it goes beyond that command. It's free will, and it's often going beyond the local church. It can be to the local church, but it can be to lots of other things too. There might be different organizations that you want to support, different missions, Christian colleges, universities. You might use a free will offering to sponsor children or to help get clean water to villages in Africa or support food banks or pregnancy resource centers or Bible translators. Or it might be given right here at home to support your neighbor next door with food or to help out a family you know that has some unexpected medical expenses. There are tons of possibilities to honor God with your free will gifts. Now, I know of a family that wanted to do more free will giving, and so they made it a goal that every year of their marriage, they would move up one percentage point in their giving. So the first year they gave 10%, and then the next year they gave 11%. 10% of that went to the church, 1% was free will giving. And then the next year they gave 12%. So 10% went to the church, 2% was free will giving, and on and on it went. And I heard about this couple years ago, and at the time, they were up to giving 25% of their income away, tithing 10% to the church, and then giving the other 15% to whatever missions and causes that they wanted to support. And this couple, they, they weren't rich by American worldly standards, but they lived for God, and they gave in faith, trusting that he would provide, and he continued to do so year after year. Now, the third type of giving is sacrificial. Now, sacrificial giving, this is giving that some would call illogical. Uh, others would call it extravagant. Uh, one example of sacrificial giving is found in John chapter 12, where Mary takes a pound of expensive perfume made from pure nard and uses it to anoint the feet of Jesus. And then she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Now this was a lot of perfume. Typically with perfume, we know that less is more, but, but Mary's using a whole pound of this perfume for Jesus' feet. Like, you ever get next to someone who has used too much perfume or cologne, and, and you can still smell them when they're even like a couple steps away? It, it's hard to almost get close to them. Well, this is like that, but way more intense. John uh, 12, it says that the whole house, the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This perfume could have been sold for 300 denarii. Denarii is the plural of denarius, and a denarius is about a day's wage. So when you figure there are 365 days in a year, you take off all the Sabbath days, you take off a few sick days, you're left with about 300 days in a year to earn income. So Mary used a whole year's wages to buy perfume to honor Jesus. That's what we mean when we say that sacrificial giving is extravagant. That's one example of extravagant giving. Let me tell you another, the widow's mites. In Luke 21, Jesus, he sees the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, and then he sees this poor widow put in two mites worth about one penny. Jesus says that she has put in more than all the others because they all gave out of their wealth. But she 
gave out of her poverty. Hers was the sacrificial gift. So we have an extravagant gift of a year's wages. We have an extravagant gift of about a penny. You see, when it comes to sacrificial giving, it is not the amount. It is the attitude. It's the sacrifice. Y'all have seen sacrificial giving in a number of capital campaigns and churches over the years, building programs where people pledge well above and beyond their normal giving. Uh, they cut back on some things in their home. They sacrifice to be able to give like this. Whether it was eating out, buying new clothes, cutting their cable, skipping a vacation out of town that year, they were willing to sacrifice for the good of the kingdom of God. Sacrificial giving, it, it comes from the heart. It isn't forced. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Sacrificial giving, it comes from this decision in your heart. And when God convicts your heart and he convicts you to give sacrificially, I encourage you to actually do so, to not ignore him, not talk yourself out of it. There are so many great missions and ministries that are alive and thriving today that either got started because of sacrificial giving or that have stayed afloat through hard times because of sacrificial giving or that have grown to greater outreach and impact because of sacrificial giving from generous Christians just like you. There are a number of reasons why a healthy church gives sacrificially, but the most important reason is because we serve a generous God. Mark Twain once said that it's a good thing that God is generous. If heaven was based on merit, your dog would get in and you'd stay out. That might be truer than we care to admit, right? I mean, God is way more generous with us than any of us deserve. Let me tell you three ways that our God is generous. First, he is generous with his blessings. Ephesians 1.3 tells us that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Just our salvation alone is wonderfully generous. We never deserve that. But God also adopts us as his own children. He says, you are mine, you belong, and all the blessings of heaven are yours. Second, God is generous with his grace. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, in accordance to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. Now notice that word, lavished. God, he doesn't give us a small amount of grace. He lavished us with his grace. When you lavish something, you give extreme, extravagant qualities to it. That is the type and the amount of grace that we have from our generous God. Lots and lots of amazing grace. Third, God is generous for our enjoyment. For our enjoyment. God wants you to have joy in your life. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, God richly provides all things for us to enjoy. So family, friends, art, sports, books, laughter, food, sleep, beautiful weather, these are all gifts from our generous God. Our God is generous. And Ephesians 5.1, it tells us to be imitators of God. 
as beloved children. As Christians, we're called to be a light to this dark world, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We want to show people the love of God through our actions. And one of the best ways that we can do this is through being generous, because our God is generous. Another reason that we give generously is because we understand stewardship. A good definition of stewardship is managing God's blessings for God's glory. See, the Bible tells us in Psalm 24, 1, that God owns it all. It says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And if he's the owner, then that means that we're not. Instead, we are his stewards. We are his managers. God commands us to be stewards over everything he blesses us with. Everything. I mean, that means our time, talents, money, relationships, jobs, and our stuff. It's all God's, and he trusts us with it. We get to manage all the creator's stuff. That is an honor, but it's also a serious responsibility. And when we really get this in our spirit, well, it changes things. Because when I understand this isn't my stuff, this is God's stuff, that he has blessed me to manage in a way that pleases him, this isn't my money, this is God's money, then I'm going to understand, okay, I need to use this stuff, I need to use this money for God's glory. That means that I'm not going to buy stupid stuff with it that God wouldn't approve of. It means that I'm going to manage it wisely, that I'm going to honor God by being responsible with my finances, with paying my bills on time. It also means that I'm going to give generously with it in order to be a blessing to others. When I understand this is God's money and not mine, I'm not going to be stingy with it. I'm going to be generous with it because I know that he blessed me so that I can bless others. 1 Timothy 4.10, or excuse me, 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We want to serve others by being good stewards of God's grace. We want to be good stewards, good managers of God's grace, God's gifts that we don't deserve, which is everything he has given us. And one of the ways we do this is by giving generously to serve others. Now, another reason that we give generously is because to not give is like taking from God. In Malachi 3, we read verse 10 earlier where God said, Give your full tithe, test me on it, see if I don't bless you. Just a couple of verses earlier, in verse 8, God says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In riches and offering. You see, the Israelites were tithing like they should. They were holding back from God what he told them to give. We need to understand God's perspective on this sin. Israel's not accused of being stingy or unloving. They are charged with robbing God. That's what he said. Robbing, like when you take something that belongs to someone else. God clearly sees the tithe as something that belongs to him, and to withhold it is to steal from him. Now, in all my years in church, passing around offering plates, I don't think I've seen anyone steal money from the offering plate. 
I do remember uh, a teenager one time who made change in offering plate when it came around. That was pretty amusing. But, but never someone trying to steal money out of the offering plate. Now, how many people have kept money that should have been in the offering plate? That should have been given to God? God says that is robbing him too. We rob God when we don't give him the tithes that we are supposed to honor him with. Again, I know some people are going to go, but that's Old Testament. But tithing isn't abolished in the New Testament. Jesus affirms it. And if anything, the New Testament raises the bar on giving. It says when we follow Jesus, we give our entire lives for him, not just 10%. Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In Romans 12.1, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your lives as living sacrifices. See, God, he isn't just asking for us to offer up 10% there. He's asking for our entire lives. When we sing about surrendering to God, we don't just sing, I surrender 10%. We sing, I surrender all. And so if we're real about surrendering to God and our life really is his, well, then giving 10% to God, it's not going to be an issue. It is going to be the starting point for our generosity. Another reason that a healthy church gives generously is because we want to develop a generous spirit, not a discontent and a selfish spirit. One of the more misquoted verses in the Bible is 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is not the rule of root of all evil. Uh, money is, itself is a tool. It isn't good or evil, but it can be used for either. But the love of money, the love of money is a root for all kinds of evil. In, in other words, all sorts of evil grows from the love of money. Greed, selfishness, idolatry. You know that song from the 80s? I want money, lots and lots of money. So don't keep asking me why. I want to be rich. Man, if that's your heart, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Seriously, check your heart because Paul says that all those that want to get rich, they fall into temptation and into a trap and ultimately into ruin. This is why Jesus warned us that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus knew what a temptation serving money would be for us. He knew how quickly we would try to make it into an idol and how it would never satisfy us. When our ultimate goal is riches, it leads us to a life full of discontent. We can never find contentment. No matter how much we have, it is never enough. John D. Rockefeller was the world's richest man. He was the only billionaire in the early 1900s, and still he was not content. When a reporter asked him how much money is enough, he responded, 
just a little bit more. The love of money is never satisfied. It leads to a life of discontentment and greed and selfishness. But we want contentment. And God wants us to be content. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot carry anything out of it. One of the best ways we can do that is to avoid living a life driven by greed and selfishness. One of the best ways to avoid greed and selfishness is to give generously. You remember the story of Scrooge and a Christmas story where Scrooge is visited by these three ghosts on Christmas Eve and the ghost of Christmas past. It shows him the warmth and the happiness that he had in his youth, even though he didn't have much stuff because he wasn't ruled by selfishness then. The ghost of Christmas present, it took him to the home of his employee, Bob Cratchit, whose family was full of love for each other, Despite their lack of wealth and despite the illness of their son, Tiny Tim, they had joy. And then the ghost of Christmas future took Scrooge to his gravesite, where there was no one caring whether he had lived or died. And these interventions, if you will, they, they worked. Uh, Scrooge wakes up Christmas morning a changed man, and he bounds out the door with a new outlook on life. He's striving to be a blessing to others. And everyone notices the change in his heart because it has changed the very way that he carries himself. It has changed his life. Not only is he now bringing happiness to others, but he is also experiencing it himself. You see, when we have the spirit of generosity, it is a gift that blesses others and ourselves. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We know that when we are generous, it doesn't just benefit those around us, it benefits us too. We who sow generously will also reap generously. Imagine, imagine being led by a spirit of generosity. Imagine the positive impact that you would have on others if you were just relentlessly generous with them. Imagine the blessing that you could be if you determined that you were never going to leave an encounter with someone without some small act of generosity. And that doesn't always have to mean tangible giving uh, of things to people. Giving money and goods, yes, that's certainly an act of generosity. And if we see someone in need, we are supposed to help them. But imagine, imagine adopting a spirit of generosity in your relationships, being generous in the way you treat people, going out of your way to be attentive to others, to express kindness and affection, to overlook and forgive slights. I heard of a counselor who told a married couple, I want you each to be as generous with each other as you can, and they were having problems and, and he didn't give them any other instruction, but they just thought, like, all right, what does that look like? And they started treating each other like that, and it, it changed their marriage. When we're attentive to others, expressing kindness and affection, overlooking, forgiving slights, then living a generous life, it, 
It sounds a lot like living like Jesus, doesn't it? When we're generous, we live out the truth that Jesus taught us, that it is better to give than to receive. Money is a tool, and it can be used as a blessing or as a curse, but when a healthy church gives generously, we choose to use it as a blessing. Matthew 6, 20 and 21, it says, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May we, as a healthy church, strive to be so generous that there is no question where our treasure truly is found. Not just because of our words, but because of our actions. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your generosity. You have blessed us in so many ways, more than we deserve. Lord, we love you. I pray that you will help us in the days and weeks to come. Help us to be generous people. Help us to be a church known for our generosity because we serve a generous God and because we want to reflect him to the world. Father, may we be generous with our money, with our things. May we be generous with our time. May we be generous with our words. Lord, I pray uh, your blessings on this church as we cannot meet uh, together. Lord, I pray uh, thanks for them. And Lord, I just uh, I pray that you will help each of us to grow more in generosity uh, in the coming weeks to your glory. Amen. All right, I have a couple announcements for you guys. Um, first, if you want to know this generous God more, and maybe you want to talk about surrendering your life to Jesus, maybe you just have some questions about our church, uh, whatever it might be, I want to encourage you to contact me. Um, you can message me on Facebook where you are listening, or you can go onto our church webpage, cccmccoy.com, and click on the email link at the bottom of the page to send me an email. I'd love to uh, get in touch with you and talk with you. Number two, uh, we have communion that is served here at the church for any who would like to partake. The church building is open from 11 a.m. to noon. Just drive up and you can uh, take part in that. We are following the COVID-19 standards. There won't be more than 10 people inside. The bread and the cup are always separated to avoid contamination. And, and after you're done, you just toss the empty cups right in the garbage. We even have some pre-sealed communion containers if you are more comfortable doing that. Now, we practice taking the Lord's Supper uh, typically every week here at Community Christian Church, and we want to continue to offer that to all those in the community. And third, uh, during this time, we are still in need of giving. Uh, I read a study this week that 65% of churches in the U.S. have seen decreased giving during these times. Uh, I was going to preach on a healthy church giving generously regardless today. That had been planned for some time now, but uh, it's very fitting uh, to talk about it today during this time. Uh, whether we are meeting in person or not, we still need to pay bills, salaries, and continue our pledge support to missions. So please continue to give 
Uh, if you want to swing by the church during that communion time from 11 a.m. to noon today, you can drop off your giving here, or you can mail your gift to the church at P.O. Box 387, McCoy, Virginia, 24111. Thank you all. And now uh, I just want to leave you with a communion meditation thought. We talked about the generosity of God today, that he is generous with his blessings and with his grace and and generous for our enjoyment, and all that is true, but far and away, the greatest gift of generosity that this world has ever seen is when God gave his only son to die for us so that through him we could have eternal life. That is the generous sacrifice that we remember every time that we take up communion. We remember our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his body for us, shed his blood for us, and took our sins, point of self, so that through him we can be redeemed. When we take this communion, we do it in remembrance of him, and we remember the greatest, most generous gift that we have ever been given, salvation and eternal life through our Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you all.